welcome to our summer 2022 podcast summer replay series. Now I'm off over the summer taking a break from podcasting so I can get a little bit of inspiration for September and I wanted to share with you some of our most popular episodes this year but also some of the episodes I think will give you some hope, some inspiration and maybe a little bit of a challenge over the summer. We'll be back in September with loads more about how to accept stuff that's outside our control, how to embrace our limits, set boundaries and say no. So we've got a packed schedule lined up for you in the autumn and as well as our podcast Summer Replay series, we've also put together a summer survival guide which contains our top tips for how to thrive and rest over the summer as well as some suggestions for some podcasts, films and TV series which we've enjoyed. That's free to download in the link in the show notes. Have a great summer. I'll see you in September and enjoy the replays. It's fantastic to have with me today on the podcast, Dr. Richard Pyle. Now, Richard's a GP partner. He's an author and he has a special interest in cardiovascular disease and lifestyle medicine. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you on. Now, most of us in lockdown maybe got a little bit fitter baked a little bit of of sourdough bread and watched an awful lot of telly. You wrote a book and published it and got it published by HarperCollins. <laughs> yes, well, the thing is, I'm no good at baking. And it was either that or build a Taj Mahal out of matchsticks. So I decided to go for the, the, the book instead. And in fairness, I'd been planning it for probably about a year and a half. And I'd submitted it to publishers a little bit before we went into lockdown. So it all worked out quite well in the end. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not feeling quite so inferior then. Obviously, I'm planning several books in my head, but none of them have got anywhere near a piece of paper yet or anything like that. So your book is called Fit for Purpose. It's published by HarperCollins. And it's all about, well, the strapline is your guide to better health, well-being and living a meaningful life. Yeah, I thought I'd keep it really narrow. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, just those, just a couple of areas to, to put it Yeah. There. So not not much not much the cover there. You know what led you to to write a book like that? It was an accumulation of things, really, Rachel. I think there were two big things that I think that got me there. One was personal circumstances, and the other was professional experience as well. And to to start with the personal, my son Luke, our, our oldest boy, he's twenty four, and I should start by saying that he is the best person in the world. Obviously, I'm biased, but he is, and he's a tremendous gift to us a blessing a light a light in our lives but looking after him whilst he still lived at home with us was tremendously challenging because of his severe complex epilepsy and his learning disability well more more the epilepsy than the learning disability and because of our experience as a family which I'm happy to go into more detail about life was very difficult we were we were on call 24/7 as carers for Luke and obviously as parents you expect to be carers for your children but not necessarily in the sort of everyday is life and death 24 hours in A&E kind of experience. So so that was one big factor that was that was making me ask some quite big questions about, you know, what it was all about and what it meant to live well and how we could survive and not even just survive but but also thrive as as a family despite very difficult circumstances. And the other thing was professional in that I'd been a doctor already for probably for 10 years when I started having these thoughts and I just felt <laughs> The way that I was practicing medicine, which was the way that I've been trained to practice medicine, wasn't really doing it for 
the majority of my patients and, and, and wasn't really doing it for me, to be honest. And so through a process of, of personal experience, of, of exploration, of learning, reading, listening, talking, I kind of, I was developing all of these thoughts and, and, and ultimately wanted to share that with, with other people, because I hope that some of the things that I've learned to put into practice would benefit a wider audience as well. So I know your book is all about purpose and how purpose can improve well-being and, and life satisfaction. Do you not think that purpose is a given if you're a doctor? You can imagine that, wouldn't you? I think, I think as doctors, there is quite a lot of that built in. And I think, as I think I may have referred to in the book, I didn't have Choosing to be a doctor meant I didn't have to ask myself difficult questions every day about whether what I was doing was worthwhile. And I suspect that drives many of us in, in medicine, whether we realize it or not, when we make our, our career decisions. But if you look at the challenges that, that the medical profession faces, particularly at the moment, and the challenges that our patients face and the things that they come to present to us with, it became apparent to me that actually it wasn't a, a given. And anyone, no matter how apparently vocational their job might seem, can benefit from really thinking about, well, their reason for being and what, and what it's all about. And, and I think doctors are not exempt from this. I think that's a really good point because I think because it's vocational, people that work in sort of health and social care and maybe other sort of charitable institutions or, or things that are normally helping other people, it feels vocational. It feels like that is your purpose then. That is the underlying purpose of your job. It's a given. And I do remember, you know, years ago when I was really struggling as a junior doctor, you know, really knackered, talking to some friends who were like, well, you're so lucky. At least you know what you do makes a difference. Mm. We're just trying to make more money for our company. And, yeah. you know, that after a while just gets really, really boring. And it means that you can't give more and more. And I was reflecting on the fact that, yeah, but the problem is, if purpose is just a given, you then neglect it on a daily basis, don't you? You then neglect it and it, and it can be too far away from you. This whole making a difference, helping people, yeah, being a doctor is a, a great thing. Does that make any difference to me in my life? And particularly when I didn't think I really particularly helped that patient over there because I don't seem to solve any of their problems and they seem to have still having a really, really tricky life and finding things difficult. So actually, do you think it's a bit of a double-edged sword being in a vocation and a job where there is a big purpose behind the job? It means that you often neglect it on a, on a personal level. I, I think you're right, Rachel. I think the personal level is exactly what I was just thinking about as you were describing that. The danger there is that you say, well, my purpose in life is to be a doctor. But actually, that's not our whole lives. And we've got you know lots of other things going on. And the people that come and see us in our surgeries are people who've got whole lives, not just the little bit they talk to us about in, in 10, 15 minutes in a consultation. And I, I think there is a risk if that becomes all consuming and you never stop to ask yourself about the other bits of your life and, and what your purpose is there, then I think that can be to your, to your detriment. Yeah. And I guess if your purpose is tied up with your job and then your job is becoming an absolute nightmare mm. or you're being criticised about not doing your job right, then that that can be really quite devastating. Yeah. Or you, you come, you don't like your job anymore. And then you think, well, hang on a minute. This was, this was giving me purpose before. And even if I'm good at it, what happens if I don't like it? What am I going to do for the next you know, 20, 30 years? 
So, so I think it is really important to think about it. I mean, I, I know that Daniel Pink talks in his book, Drive, about the, the three motivational factors in life being autonomy, mastery and purpose. And I, to be, to be honest, I've really struggled with that, that last one about purpose because I'm someone who's just sort of chased off different ideas, perhaps without maybe thinking about what's behind it. I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Let me go and do that. And actually now I'm starting to think, ah, oh, okay, this thing about purpose. And I think some people may may call that vision actually as well. I think in the leadership literature, I'm reading a lot about vision and they seem to be using purpose and vision sort of interchangeably. How, how would you define what purpose actually is? Well, you make a really good point there. I think it's really hard to define. You know, you, you could look it up online and it will say something like a reason for being, a reason for for doing something. But then I would say you've got to throw other stuff in there, like your values in life, the things that you think are important, the things that make life enjoyable and 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 satisfying. And therefore, are you living life in, in a meaningful way? I think meaning is a term that's probably also used quite commonly with purpose. Are you living a life in a meaningful way that's consistent with those values? Have you even thought about what those actually are? Uh, and you made a really good point, actually. Uh, despite having written a book on the subject, I think we need to be careful that we don't assume that everybody needs to attend uh, a course or to, or to read a book on purpose, he says, shooting himself in the foot. Because actually, you know, your approach that you mentioned, if we're lucky, we, we probably could get through life just making decisions about stuff that, that appeals to us and engages us. And maybe some of us are really good at instinctively knowing what is uh, right for us. But I think sometimes some of us aren't. And sometimes if we get stuck or we reach a crossroads in our life, then that might be a moment to say, I am going to give myself some time to think about this because I haven't really considered it and given myself the space to to contemplate, you know, what it's all about. Why am I here? What what gives life meaning to me? What would I like to do more of? What would I like to do less of? What makes me happy? You know, that's another commonly used sort of interchangeable term as well. Yeah. I think I've been thinking about this a lot, particularly with, you know, the, the, just the overwhelm of work that we're seeing, particularly in general practice and in healthcare. And, and frankly, I've been seeing this in, in lawyers, in, in everyone. It just seems to be crazy out there mm. at the moment. And I think it's so easy to lose our purpose when we're busy. I came across a quote the other day that the, the busy life is the empty life. Mm. I thought, oh, that's that's so true because the busier I get, almost the more I start thinking, what's life all about? What's the what what's the meaning here? What's the purpose here? And I know that a lot of you know our colleagues in general practice are just running as fast as they can, just to stand still. They are going, they're getting through the work, they're getting home, they're collapsing. At the end of the day, they're going back, they're doing it again and again and again, and there maybe isn't even any room to think about purpose. Now, what is the consequences of just living like that day after day after day without any time looking at your meaning and purpose? So I think there are potentially really quite significant consequences to your health and to your well-being. The problem, of course, is that we, what we don't have is randomized controlled trials or meta-analyses which say lack of purpose as a cause for type 2 diabetes. 
but actually you can flip it round, Rachel, and you can look at what the evidence is for the benefits of having a sense of purpose in life. And I'm not, when I say this, I'm not necessarily saying you have to ascribe to any one particular philosophy, to whether, whether you're a religious person or a not religious person, whether you've written it down on a piece of paper or not. A sense of purpose in life is something that we can all have. And so, for example, there's, there's associations. Obviously, we can't say the necessary causations, but there are associations between an increased sense of purpose in life and things like reduced risk of having a heart attack if you've already got coronary artery disease. There's an association with a reduced risk of stroke in old age. So you could say that having purpose in life is effectively a form of primary prevention. There's reduced rate of cognitive decline, improved recovery rates from cancer, improve longevity in people with HIV when, when all other factors are confounding factors are allowed for things like lifestyle and compliance with medication, etc. And reduced cardiovascular disease overall, particularly in women, there have been shown to be some associations between regular religious observance and again, increased lifespan and better well-being. So it must therefore, I would think, logically be true that if that's something that's lacking in our lives, that does pose as a challenge. And and if we think about all the different pillars of well-being, you know, we, we talk about all the obvious stuff. So sleep and movement and nutrition and relationships and stress and relaxation. And, and I would say purpose and meaning is a, is a key pillar. Now, you can get by, you know, so will you lead a short and unhappy life if you don't eat a very healthy diet every day? Well, you might be all right if you've if you've got enough other stuff in your life that balances that out. And that's probably true of purpose as well. But after 21 years of being a GP and 48 years of being a, a human and a and a parent, I would say that purpose in life and connections with other people and meaningful relationships are probably two of the biggest pillars. And I think if you don't have those, then you can scramble around trying to fuss over what type of diet you're eating and whether you're, whether you're doing 30 minutes a day of exercise and whether you're sleeping for seven, eight or nine hours. But I think it's going to be a lot harder. I think it's almost a losing battle. That's why I think it's really something that I emphasise to people. And do you think that connection and meaningful relationships can be part of your purpose? So I, I slightly struggle. I, I slightly struggle with the whole, you know, my family is everything. You know, I, I think that can become, you know, my kids are everything or my partner is everything. Because I think if you put all your, you know, apples in one cart, as mm. it were, or your eggs, what's the word? Eggs in one eggs basket. In one basket. <laughs> then, then actually you know, A, if things then don't work out how, how you want it to, it can be difficult. But B, that sometimes seems slightly selfish to me. Mm. My purpose is just my family and the people near me. Well, how does that, how does that benefit the rest of the world? Absolutely. And if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which starts off, you know, it's often portrayed as a, as a, a pyramid. And if you look at images on Google, and it'll start off with the basic stuff like food and shelter and warmth and intimacy and and those are things that if we don't have those we consider ourselves deficient and then as you go up the pyramid towards the tip you get onto things like self-actualization so you know uh, and self-realization becoming all that you can be and right at the top there are things like there are terms used like transcendency and that's where we are thinking more broadly we're thinking about not just ourselves and not just our families but others society the bigger picture and that's often where the, the spheres of both science and faith can have things to to say. So I think you're right. If you if you're always inward focused, again, you might consider your life to be okay, but maybe you're only going to ever achieve seventy five percent of what you could have achieved. And if you think more broadly, which is perhaps why some people go into medicine, 
then your life can be even more fulfilling. And so I agree. I agree in not, not putting all your eggs in, in one basket uh, and taking time to think about what that bigger picture might mean. I think in a minute, I'm going to sort of go on and ask you a little bit more about how we can find purpose in life. So mm. I know you're very interested in this thing called Ikigai, the, the, yeah. that Japanese concept. But first, I just wanted to ask you, is, is there such a thing as having too much purpose? I don't think you can have too much purpose but i think if your if your purpose is very single-minded and you devote all your resources into it then what you don't have is balance and i think you need to have balance in your life you know we, we know people i'm sure in terms of our families you've just described or perhaps church leaders or colleagues in general practice who who sacrifice themselves on the altar of whatever they they perceive their higher calling to be and, and it's to the exclusion of all other things and i think you're right in that context i think that's unhealthy and that's why um i think when it comes to life people probably have different purposes at different times and you might have different purposes in different areas and what is really important to you for five or ten years might not be the thing that you then move on to and over the course of your life you could have many different purposes so i think i think it's good to have purpose but i do think you need balance i think sometimes you know having having seen lots of gps who are also involved in charities or churches or other faith groups or other stuff that purpose and that sense of we've got to sort of save the world we've got to save our community here mm. it can be really overwhelming and i guess I guess there's been a little bit of that put onto general practice. You know, we've got to vaccinate the whole population. Yep. We are responsible for this. We are responsible for all our patients. And, oh, no, now they're all criticising us, saying we've not been open when we have been open. I mean, I know you, you're, a, you're a partner. Have, have people been, you know, finding things difficult in your practice? Yeah, general practice is, is really uh, intense at the moment. I, I've been a GP for 21 years. I, I, I sound very old when I say that, don't I? 21 years. And it has never been this busy. Never, never been this busy. And, and uh, I was imagining, I was trying to come up with an analogy the other day. And I think it's like going, it's going to the annual appraisal for your job, just a generic job where your boss says to you, Richard, how do you think it's going? And I say, well, it's going all right, but it's really busy. And the boss says, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to work about 20% harder than you've ever worked. And I'd be thinking, well, I don't, don't really fancy that because I'd like to spend some time with my wife and kids. How much more will you pay me? And they say, oh, oh no, we're not going to pay you anymore. We just want you to work 20% harder. So I have a think about that. And then they say, oh, and by the way, whilst you're working 20% harder, what's going to happen is large sections of the public are going to believe not only that you're not working harder, but that you're actually lazy and that you're not doing your job. But also you're there working as hard as you've ever worked with a reduced quality of life but everyone else will think you're, you're doing a really bad job which in turn will make your job harder to do now if that was a job that you were selling to an incoming candidate they'd, they'd probably walk out of the room wouldn't they I, I would think at that stage so it is all consuming at the moment and we've had to think very hard in our practice about how we make it sustainable because I, I do firmly believe that, that the greatest service that any health practitioner can do for their patients is to first look after themselves because if they if they don't do that they're going to collapse their surgery is going to collapse and then suddenly their their patients in our case 21 and a half thousand of them are going to have no service because doctors aren't practicing what they preach and so in, in the book obviously you talk about all these different aspects of well-being mm. Would you just suggest actually okay, people focus on sleeping, eating, exercising, or would you say actually you really this is this 
right now is when you really have to dig down deep into your purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'm wary of encouraging people to do too many things at once because that can be overwhelming when someone's thinking about their life and the changes they'd like to make. Having six different goals divided into three different sections is is increasingly likely that you will fail. And as a result, you'll probably beat yourself up and be a bit disheartened. But I think purpose is worth considering because people need to think about you know, is, is how am I helping other people? How am I helping myself? Is the balance right? What do I love about my job? What's really difficult about my job? C- could I sustain this so that I can keep going in the next one, two, five, ten years? Or might I not think about this and just plow on regardless, instinctively knowing that it's just the right thing to do and it's what I've always done and I'm just going to do it anyway? And then the risk there is that people just come unglued completely dramatically and quickly and you will have seen that in in colleagues and patients and ultimately that doesn't really serve anyone so I, I do encourage people to think about that because again saying my life's terrible my working conditions are awful my mental health suffering but I'll, I'll make sure that I you know eat a low carb diet and get seven hours sleep every night well those things will probably help a bit but they are tinkering at the edges I would say so how would someone go about if they are in that situation reconnecting with with their purpose and, and meaning in their life because I, I just think it's a, quite a difficult thing to to even start to get to your do. head around yeah. yeah well this is where it might be useful for us to to talk about the the concept of ikigai which i think is helpful and and it's the loosely translated it's, it's a word from it's a japanese word and it means reason for being if you type ikigai into google um, and, uh, images, you will see the most common thing people see is a fairly crude representation, but it's not a bad place to start where you look at typically four different circles in interconnecting circles. And those four areas are, if I can remember them, what I love, what I'm good at, what I can get paid for, and what the world needs. And that, you know, the what the world needs perhaps touches a bit on the point we were just discussing about that, the bigger picture. Um, and if you were to put it very, very oversimplistically, you could say, well, great, if you've got something in your life, if your life basically, you've got all of those four circles, not just intersecting, but on top of each other, then you have won at life. You you know, you can stand up and shout ikigai, you know, you've, that's great. You, you love what you do. You get paid for it. You're brilliant at it and the world needs it. And you could argue that on a good day, actually having a vacation like being a GP does tick a lot of those boxes, which goes back to your comment about built-in purpose. <laughs> The challenge is at the moment that I would say, let's take me as an example, I think I'm quite good at what I do. I do get paid reasonably for it. I I, I don't love it all the time. And um, the world does kind of need it, but I'm not sure the world needs medicine as we currently practice it in general practice, which is a very disease-based process, which is a whole other, you know, a whole other conversation. So I think that's where doctors could start to think about those four areas and and, and in, in those intersecting areas when you look at it on google you'll therefore end up thinking of things about passion and vocation and mission and which different bits of your life it ticks you, you might say well look i like my job i don't mind not getting paid lots of money for it the world needs it etc but you might say well i do earn plenty of money but i'm not but but i need to have a better balance in my life so I, i'm good at it but i won't do as much of it i might think about whether there are other things in my life whether it's relationships hobbies um uh, uh, 
giving, working for charities, doing other vocational things, which may not earn me money, but help me to feel that I feel really passionate about. And I think it's about having that, that right balance. And I'm aware that as I'm having this conversation with you, I, I, as a partner, I risk shooting myself in the foot because <laughs> I can see what you're thinking. You know, doctors, partners and salary doctors might think, oh yeah, I, I listened to this episode of You Are Not A Frog. And I've decided I'm going to drop from eight sessions a week to four sessions a week. Um, but I would argue that it's better to have a an enthusiastic, happy, resilient workforce who give their all to what they do. And the bigger picture for me is that if it becomes apparent that no one can be a doctor four or five days a week now, certainly not in general practice because of the of the working conditions, then that's bigger pictures that needs to be considered by our government, by NHS England, by the BMA, by whoever, because otherwise it's a fiction, isn't it? We're we're pretending that you can do this all the time and, and that that will be exposed for the lie that it is sooner or later. 100% agree. I'm giving you a massive great big round of applause there. But Thank it, you. You're right. It, it's such a fine line between, obviously, we desperately, desperately need people to continue to work in general practice and in medicine and in health and social care and in all those other things. But if it's a choice between burning out and just leaving or reducing the sessions a bit so that they can cope. I mean, reduce the sessions because you're going to be better at what you do. And also you can then find bits of work that you do love that will will complement it. Because I I don't think that one job can ever give you everything you need, everything that you you love. And I think when I've been doing career counselling with people, that is part of the problem they're like right I want this career that's going to fulfill me in every single area like that but actually of course it's not going to do that so you've, you've got to get this balance between you know what, what is possible within the frames of, of what you do and, and and you work and so for doctors I think yes the, the great thing is we can diversify within our jobs we can do other stuff can't we which then might give us a little bit maybe more teamwork or yeah. more creativity or something that we need which we which we really enjoy and which we really love mm. Or do that outside of work. Absolutely. So there are ways, it, 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 particularly if perhaps you work in a larger practice or an organisation where there is that flexibility. The, none of the partners at my practice spend all their time in, in general practice, and, that, and that's all they do. <clears throat> they haven't. No one's done that for the twenty years, twenty one years I've worked there. Some of them are within the general practice area so they might be trainers they might be specialists in certain clinical areas and they might take part in other forms of education and then they might do other things outside of general practice on their days off whether it's working in in other spheres of medicine or just you know enjoying running cycling painting you know doing things that that keep them fulfilled and refreshed and 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 resilient and you know we we must practice this as, as health practitioners because how how can we serve our patients who come in often stressed to the eyeballs, particularly in the last 18 months. And we know there, we know when we sit and talk to them that, yes, we could end up doing a blood test and referring them to a specialist and they might even end up having some kind of intervention offered. But a lot of the time, I would argue probably the majority of the time, it's the deep, basic life stuff that that really needs getting right. And and if, if we don't do that in our own lives, or at least understand the importance of it, even if we're not Perfect, even if not perfect, we're, we're kind of working towards it. Then, how can we be credible and help other people to really understand what it means to be truly well? Yeah, and I, I can imagine it's very hard to ask patients, um, you know, about 
purpose and, and meaning in their lives, particularly if you don't feel you've got it yourself. You're like, well, I'm just on this treadmill and yeah. I can see you're, you're pretty purposeless, but oh my goodness, I'm, I'm looking at myself. But I think back to this thing about doing that, which we love, mm. sometimes we don't actually know what it is we love and we yeah. don't actually realise that if we play to our strengths, then we're probably going to love it a little bit more and again. Mm. I would really encourage people to find out what what are your strengths, what are you particularly good at, and do more of it because you're probably going to enjoy that more. Looking and that that I guess then intersects intersects with that what are you good at circle with the ikigai, and I was thinking yeah, this is a really useful way of looking at purpose because it's stuff you can actually do something about. Mm. <laughs> because actually, if I'm not particularly good at something, but I really like doing it. Well, I can probably get better at it, but what do I need to do to get better at it? Do I need to go on a course or get some more experience or go shadow somebody or or yeah. practice? So that's something really practical you can do. Mm. Going back to a comment you just made about giving yourself time to think about it, I think that's the starting point because unless we actually give ourselves this space, this margin, then it doesn't happen. So one of the things I recommend to people is that and it different, it'll be work differently for different people. Some people might be in a position to take themselves off on a, you know, on a retreat once a year and sit in saffron robes on top of a mountain chanting. Other people might, you know, be able to do half an hour a week or an hour a month or five minutes a day where you just say, I'm just going to give myself this time to think about, let's keep it simple. What makes me happy in life? And, and therefore, you know, what, makes me not so happy and what could I do more of and what could I do less of and, and which different bits of my life need looking at when it comes to both the personal and the professional and if you need to start by asking yourself those questions because then when I'm an appraiser sitting with GPs we can then talk about how they would go about fulfilling those those ambitions that they have like you say with a training course with a downloading an app with learning about mindfulness whatever so I think I think the key is giving yourself that time and 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 valuing that enough to and yourself enough to do it yeah oh totally and I would really encourage people to go either a retreat or book a a, a night away by themselves or yeah. with some friends or just to think about it and in fact it's something I've been thinking about quite a lot recently is about maybe running a sort of a, a two-day you are not a fr frog thinking coaching retreat where we can just have good conversations coach each other and do some of this stuff so brilliant just Putting feelers out there, if anyone's listening, and that would be of interest to them, finding somewhere really nice to stay where we can get out into nature and just have some of these conversations, just drop me an email at hello at you are not a frog. And if enough people go, yes, please, I'd be up for that. I'll organise it because it would be lovely. It would be brilliant because the ones I've done like that, I went on one thing where we just literally hiked up a mountain and we said, like, why don't you have a conversation about this and that and the other? Stayed in a hut overnight hike down again oh it was brilliant it was uh -huh. just so good and and we are so busy we are so busy that unless you've actually put some time in your diary and you can't get yourself in front of a computer <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> then you can't do it so so anyway back to back to what we were talking about the four circles so you can get good at stuff you can find out what you love doing by a little bit of reflection and maybe some coaching or strength surveys and stuff like that. The whole thing about what the world pays you for. Now, that, that is an interesting one. And I think that is where we are really fortunate, aren't we, in health and social care? And most people, I think, listening to this podcast probably earn enough. Yes, definitely. And there is the concept, which I also mentioned in the book, about income satiety and the idea that what 
generally speaking, on average, once you get to a certain amount of money that sort of insulates you as best as it can from the, the basic deficiencies in life, then you can earn more and more and more, but you don't tend to get happier and happier and happier. And in fact, you, there is some evidence to suggest that you might become unhappier depending on what issues that throws up. So, so you're right, that's maybe one thing most people working in as GPs don't have to worry about as much. And then you've got the option of, you know, actually, if you need a bit of extra money, you can always go and do extra shifts and Hmm. extra this and extra that, which not everybody has. I think we're really fortunate in that, in, in that sense as well. And the other thing we're really fortunate about, and I, you know, I, I think we forget this sometimes is that the world always needs healthcare. The world needs healthcare. The world needs compassionate people. The world needs people that are going to listen to them and point them in the right direction of, of good, of good health, not just fixing people's disease. So in terms of, you know, finding someone, something that the world needs, yeah, what we're not trying to do is create a a product and then try and sell it to people and say, no, no, you really, really, really need this. Mm. <laughs> people know that they need that they need good health. So we're sort of we we've got that going for us already. But I guess it's 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 narrowing it down to specifically one area, you know, rather than what does the world need from me? Good health. That's a little bit too big. Quite broad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so so in my case it could be Going back to my earlier comments about the wrong the wrong kind of medicine, you know, we don't have time to go into that in detail today, but we do practice a very disease-based sickness model of medicine. You know, the National Health Service is more of a sickness service than a health service. And I think one of the, I guess one of the things that I'd like to do that I think the world might need is to look at how we develop a more wellness-based model. And the way, and by that, I mean looking at how GPs consult you know, looking at the different models of the consultation, there's not been any really new ones for many years. And thinking about something that is more focused on wellness. Now, it's a challenge because there's so many competing agendas and people have got so much that they want help with at the moment. And we've got external factors and pressures upon us. But if we don't do that, then I believe we, we might be giving the world what they think they want, but it isn't necessarily what they need. And I know that sounds possibly a little bit paternalistic, but you know, if we keep on doing the same thing, we're always going to get the same result. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I don't think that's paternalistic. I think that showing people the transformation that they need and then helping them get there isn't paternalistic. It's just it's just right, and, and con- to continue to give somebody something that they want that isn't necessarily good for them well that's just mm. bad medicine isn't it mm. well you wouldn't do it for your child would you if they, <laughs> no i was just uh, thinking that you know <laughs> my daughter would quite happily just eat biscuits you know an entire packet of biscuits when she came, came home from school but that's probably not what she needs right at that point yeah yeah so right i'm looking at these four circles which i have drawn and i'm looking at that intersection in the middle so it's the intersection just to summarize between that what i the things which i love mm-hmm the things I'm good at, the things that the world needs and what I'm, what I'm paid for. Yeah. Um, and I guess you could take out the paid for bits. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, and, and again, I don't have the picture right in front of me at the moment, but I, I do offer a slightly more nuanced model in the book used with the kind permission of, of Nicholas Kemp and Professor Hasegawa, which is more, according to Nicholas, is more the Japanese concept of Ikigai, not so much the westernized, googleized version. And as you'll see by looking at that, and you can find it online, it's that 
doesn't emphasize career as much. It's part of it, but it's not the only thing. Because for many of us, you know, if we're at a stage in life where we we don't need paying or we aren't in paid employment, um, to have something that's a little bit less career focused and is a bit more about relationships and hobbies and creativity and that kind of thing, that that can be more helpful. So that's a that's a slightly more nuanced way of of looking at it. Mm, I like that. And we'll, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And yes, yeah, so they've got Great. a circle for values, a circle for roles and relationships, circle for presence and hope. So I love that. because one of my core values is sort of hope and inspiration, a circle for, for work and leisure. Mm. And then you've got that, that bit in the middle, which is sort of self-actualization. Mm. So with all of these sort of interlocking circles, these Venn diagrams, the bit in the middle, right, is where we're aiming for. That is our purpose is that right you, you could say that, didn't you? yeah that that's the that's what you might crudely call it the, the ikigai the, the reason for being so yeah now you, know, you won't you won't achieve perfection every day you won't have lead a life necessarily unless you're very fortunate where everything's in perfect balance and everything's in the middle but i think just having enough different aspects of your life whether it's your work your relationships etc that just means that overall you feel you've got you've got balance and i think when it comes to balance and, and resilience i tend to look at it as life as a as like standing on a seesaw and you've got the challenges of life on one side and you've got the resources available to you on the other that, that and you're going to be better resourced if you've got a, a purpose and meaning in life then you're you're better able to cope with whatever life throws at you I just want to sort of finally touch on another point, and I know you do cover this quite a lot in your book. Where does spirituality come into come into purpose? Because when you sort of ask the question, you know, why am I here? We don't always go straight to, well, it's, uh, you know, to do what I love and what I'm good at. Sometimes yes. it's like, literally, why, <laughs> literally, the, the why are we here? Yeah. The really big picture stuff and something a little bit outside of yourself. Where yeah. does that all come in? Yeah. So I think it was in a Terry Pratchett book where there was a philosopher asked, was asked at a party, why are you here? And, and the answer took three years or something like that. <laughs> so, so again, I'm not promoting any one philosophy or faith, but I think, I think as human beings, we have physical, mental and spiritual aspects to our, our being. And, and I feel that's undeniable, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we understand it or not. And it's when we attempt to, fragment these to separate them that things generally end badly in one way or another and just as we in general practice would accept that there isn't really a divide between physical and mental health and, the, and there shouldn't be but maybe years and years ago that's that's how it was looked at i think the spirituality is important and when i say spirituality again that doesn't necessarily mean being signed up to one particular religious faith but but that 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 is the bit at the top of Maslow's hierarchy. That's the transcendency bit. That's the what is the bigger picture? What what is you know what else is going on beyond me and my immediate surroundings? What is it all about? What should I be doing to contribute to the world to to society? That might mean a belief in a higher power. It it might not. You might be a humanist or an atheist who says I'm very clear about my values in life and and the, the things that I consider to be important. And I will have that at the back of my mind when I'm making my decisions about the job that I do and the way I conduct my relationships, because you want to live a life that's congruent with those values. And again, if people had never really thought about that, the why am I here question, that's something you, you know, they could start with just having a little bit of time to 
to consider. I think life is so frantic day to day, Rachel, that unless we actually give ourselves permission to dare to think those big thoughts, it, it could be a whole area of life that's just never addressed. Yeah, I think busyness, busyness just gets in the way of it. And it, it can be quite a, a convenient way of sort of covering some uncomfortable stuff that we don't really want to deal with as, as well. Right. I had a spiritual director for for a while and that was really, really helpful. And actually <laughs> the main thing that came out from my spiritual director was actually me creating time and space uh. in my house for me where once a day or once a week or whenever I could, I would actually go and sit on my own and, and think. And that was just, that was so, so important. And then there is so much amazing stuff out there and so many yeah. things to connect with and so many ways to explore all this sort of thing. But yeah, again, it, it's it's the busyness that just overtakes all this, isn't it? It, it is. And I think I think from our previous conversation that, that, that you and I both read The uh, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by, by John Mark Comer. And that is just brilliant. You know, whether you're a, a Christian or not, whatever, it's j- just that description of the need to have margin in your life, to have to have space. And the idea of Sabbath, again, which needn't be a religious thing. It could just be, this is the, just like you've mentioned, this is the time that I set aside for myself each day, each week, whatever, just to, to to stop and take stock. And I think we all need that as humans. Oh, totally, to, to, to rest and restore. And there is a reason, isn't there, why most of the world's major religions have a day of rest mm. in them or a, or even some time every day of, of reflection. And I, I remember one of my colleagues who I work with very closely really very strictly observed the Muslim call to prayer every time. And he said, it makes my day run better yeah. because I stop and I reset myself and I reflect. And he said, I would never be without it. It's so helpful. And it's so important. Just that, that time when, when, when you stop and that is built in, isn't it? To a lot of our sort of major world, mm. world religions. And there's a reason for that. There is absolutely. And we, sh- you know, these ancient, these ancient wisdoms, these things that have been around for thousands of years, I think we potentially ignore them at our peril. It's great that we live in a world of evidence-based medicine, or, or mostly evidence-based medicine. But more and more, as I've learned more in life as a doctor, it's, it's interesting that there are many things that in my early years I would have said, well, where's, where's, where's the evidence for that? That's just what that's just what some philosophy that's been handed down or some religious belief. But those common principles, I think that just reflects the fact that, that as human beings, we instinctively know what's what's good for us. And those principles are shared to some degree or another by probably the majority of people on the face of this planet. So, so yeah, it's, it's worth remembering that. Yeah. I think we need to get a little bit more comfortable with embracing mystery, mm. stuff that we can't explain, but we know is Seems happening and we know is, is working. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gosh. Oh, well, on that note, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna have to stop because we're out of time. So in a minute, Richard, I'm going to ask you for your three top tips for busy people to reconnect with the purpose in their life. But before I ask you for that, if people wanted to find out more about your book or about Ikigai or any of this stuff, how can they how can they reach you? Uh, so you can find me on all the usual social social media channels i'm mainly on twitter dr richard pyle i've got a youtube channel and a blog which is called well-being for real life which is also the title of my podcast which uh, i've now done series one nowhere near as many episodes as you but just seven episodes so far and my book fit for purpose is uh, available from from harper collins brilliant so yeah encourage you to, to to check that all out so what would your top three tips be 
do you know, I've listened to so many podcasts over the years where people are put on the spot with their top three tips. And I'm often thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not them. Uh, so, I, so <laughs> it's happening And here I am. So, here you are. So, so I suppose number one would go back to what I've mentioned a couple of times already, which is you need to give yourself time to take stock. So just think about how that is achievable for you. You might be very busy. Your life circumstances might be really challenging personally or professionally. I, I, I absolutely get that. But I would argue that the most of us, for example, could probably afford five minutes a day of just, you know, giving ourselves a bit of time to think about these things. And and ideally, maybe, you know, something even just once a week or once a month could be a bit more meaningful because then you could devote a bit more time to it, half an hour, an hour, whatever. So taking stock, I think, is really important. I think then number two is perhaps thinking about the the ikigai concept so thinking about you know what you are good at or enjoy what you are passionate about what you get paid for what the world needs because i think it's it's a it's a simplistic way of looking at it, but it's not a bad way to to start off the, the the thought process and then i think number three is when you've identified possibly the things that you either do or would like to do that would give your life more meaning and purpose Think practically about how you're going to achieve that and what are the steps that you're going to take. Does it mean learning a new skill? Does it mean increasing your work commitment? Does it mean reducing your work commitment? Does it mean focusing more on your on your relationships? And a little bit like I do a, a, the, the professional development plan with appraisees, you know, you, you might want to write it down and say, you know, th- this is what my goal is. This is what I'd like to do. This is how I'm going to do it. How will I know? When I've done it, will, will will it be something I can measure? Will I have achieved? Will I have finished a course, finished an app, crossed some kind of line that 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 will um help me know that I've achieved that goal? And then I guess it's kind of rinse and repeat. So you've given yourself the time to think about it. You've you've broken it down into a few areas. You've come up with a plan for what you'd like to happen and how you're going to make it happen. And then ask yourself the question at some point again: How's it going? How you know have I achieved what I wanted to do? Did what went well? What didn't go quite so well what didn't i think about that maybe i came a bit unstuck but next time i could i could get around it by doing it differently those would be my my tips that's brilliant thank you so much richard that has been really really helpful i think some really practical ways of of actually reconnecting with with your purpose in life so i think there's lots more we can talk about will you come back on the podcast at some point i would be delighted thank you rachel That'd be great. I encourage people to have a look at Richard's book as well. Check out all those resources. And if anyone is interested in a You Are Not A Frog gathering, then just email hello at You Are Not A Frog. Just say, I'm interested. You're not committed to anything. But if I have more than 10 people email me, I will set something up and we'll we'll go do it. We'll, We'll have a gathering where we eat lovely food, maybe sit around a campfire and think about this sort of stuff and and just reconnect with our with our purpose and our vision so that's brilliant thank you richard we'll speak soon thank you rachel take care bye thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this episode then please share it with your friends and colleagues please subscribe to my you are not a frog email list and subscribe to the podcast and if you have enjoyed it then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts so keep well everyone you're doing a great job you got this